This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the aftermath of the mass shooting on Independence Day in Highland Park and get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor about that, Chicago violence, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. Listen to all our podcasts at americastalking.com. I'm Greg Bishop. If you're tired of the divisive rhetoric in our country today, then America's Talking Network is for you. America's Talking Network is a new podcast hub where you can find civil conversations. What does America need to be saved from? The birth of my son is the birth of this channel because when he was born, it completely changed the way I think about the world. Find out what's happening in our country. And of course, everyone's prices are going up around the country. If you've been to the grocery store, you've seen it. If you've made a budget, you probably had to increase your monthly allotment for a lot of different things and find out what's happening right here in our backyard of illinois the price you pay at the pump wherever you're buying your gasoline in illinois is all inclusive of the taxes that are built into this thing that sort of explains why illinois average is significantly higher than the national average the only agenda that america's talking network has is to get america talking again go to americastalking.com to check out all of our podcasts once again that's americastalking.com this is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. The community of Highland Park continues to recover after a mass shooting at an Independence Day parade that killed seven and wounded dozens more. After a multi-hour manhunt, a suspect was taken into custody. Seven first-degree murder charges are just the start for the 21-year-old Highland Park shooting suspect that local police say they reported to Illinois State Police in 2019. There's no motive yet, and investigator Chris Cavelli said that suspect Robert Cremo's attack on the parade appears to be completely random. We have no information to suggest at this point it was racially motivated, motivated by religion, or any other protected status. In other updates, Cavelli said the male suspect appears to have acted alone and was wearing a disguise. Uh, during the attack, Primo was dressed in woman's clothing, and investigators do believe he did this to conceal his facial tattoos and his identity and help him during the escape uh, with the other people who were fleeing the chaos. Law enforcement continues to take tips from the public as well as any video evidence of the incident. Cavelli also said law enforcement has had contact with the suspect before Monday's Independence Day shooting. He detailed the interactions from 2019, which included an initial visit after a report of an attempted suicide. The second occurred in September of 2019. A family member reported that Cremo said he was going to kill everyone and Cremo had a collection of knives. The police responded to his residence. The police removed 16 knives, a dagger, and a sword from Cremo's home. Cavelli said local police notified Illinois State Police at the time. ISP Master Sergeant Delilah Garcia said there wasn't anything to act upon in 2019. So he didn't have a pending application, so there was nothing to review at that time when we got that notification. We didn't know, and you know, a few months later, something else would happen. It's unclear what liabilities the father of the suspected shooter could face. Illinoisans wanting to buy guns or ammo in the state must have a valid firearm owner's identification card. Despite local police reporting the Illinois State Police, September of 2019, a domestic call to suspect Robert Cremo's house where they confiscated knives. ISP said Cremo's father sponsored the minor to get a FOID card in December of 2019. 
There were no prohibitors, and the application was approved, ISP said. Cremo then purchased five guns over several months, despite the Guardian's affidavit saying that they're to be held liable for damages resulting in the miners' use of firearms. Lake County State's Attorney Eric Reinhardt wouldn't say if that'll be pursued. I don't want to comment on that. I don't want to answer that question right now in terms of uh, what our work continues to be to look at all of the information and evidence in this case. Is this Asked if Cremo's father's cooperating with the investigation, Lake County Major Crimes Task Force spokesman Chris Cavelli wouldn't say. I don't want to go into levels of cooperation. Uh, we're, we're talking to everybody, though, and, and working on getting the most cooperation we can out of everybody. In the aftermath of that mass shooting and continued gun violence in other Illinois cities, some are looking for concrete solutions. After the shooting in Highland Park, where certain types of weapons are already banned, Lake County State's Attorney Eric Reinhardt said more prohibitions should be implemented. As a public safety professional, as one of the many individuals responsible uh, for the safety of the, the people in Lake County, we should, we should have a statewide and national ban on assault weapons. Republicans say such bans only impact law-abiding gun owners. While some of the Republican Party opposed Firearm Restraining Order Act, State Senator Darren Bailey said that it should be tweaked if needed and then utilized. If we have to amend it to make sure that it protects our constitutional rights, well, let's take a look at that. But for Pete's sake, let's use it. Illinois State Police Director Brendan Kelly said that it can help, but it must be utilized when family members have concerns. Friends, family, other others that, that see see things, that know things, that, that are that are a concern, need to take the appropriate steps because uh, we we are frankly dependent upon that uh, to be able to act. The act requires someone to go to court and motion for someone to have their firearm seized if they show signs of being a threat to themselves or others. Opponents of the law say it could violate individuals' Second Amendment rights and their right to due process. Bailey, who will take on incumbent Governor J.B. Pritzker in November, said that there should be a special session ordered to find more solutions. Pritzker's campaign said in a statement Bailey voted against mental health funding and strengthening gun violence prevention programs and wants to get rid of the FOID card. Bailey said the FOID card program's just a money grab, isn't working, and needs to go. We have the federal firearm background check. We have age limits. We have waiting periods. We have the Firearms Restraining Act, which was passed to take care of this very issue. The gunman in Monday's Highland Park shooting passed multiple state and federal background checks, despite local police reporting him to state police as a clear and present danger in 2019. The city of Chicago experienced a violent Independence Day weekend in which eight people were killed, 29 injured. Mayor Lori Lightfoot says they're making improvements in public safety. Andrew Hensel has that story. The holiday weekend saw a total of 68 reported shootings, eight of which were fatal, and several of the shootings ended up without someone in custody. Lightfoot said the city has a problem with respect. That says to me that the people who are acting so brazenly not only no respect for themselves, but they don't have respect for an institution like the police department. Former President Donald Trump told the Center Square last month that in his years as a businessman and a politician, he has never seen anything like what is happening in Chicago. It's gotten worse. It's not even believable. That's not that's not living in a safe place. That's not even getting close to living in a safe place. I've never seen numbers like that. The murder rate in Chicago has increased by 26 percent since 2019. I'm Andrew Hensel. Chicago may steal the headlines with reports of violent crime, but there are some downstate communities dealing with the same problem. Kevin Bessler reports. Homicides are up in Decatur and Peoria, and there have been more shootings in Champaign this year than at this point in 2019. 
Terry Burnside is the executive director of the nonprofit violence prevention organization, House of Hope. We just kind of got to strategize. We have to mobilize and get in front of this thing. Instead of meeting to be meeting, we need to start coming up with plans of action. Two people were shot and killed in Peoria over the July 4th weekend, the 11th and 12th homicides in the city so far this year. Burnside says the community needs to come together to come up with solutions. We just need to check eagles in at the door, roll up our sleeves, join hands, and let's just get busy. Because at the end of the day, it's at the expense of lives being lost, victims being shot. The Peoria City Council recently shut down the idea of using city funds to allow for the organization Cure Violence Global to conduct an initial assessment of the city. I'm Kevin Bessler. The governor's rhetoric around the issue of gun violence is heating up, and some say it's, quote, disgusting. Before Monday's mass shooting at a Chicago suburb, Pritzker spoke to a group of New Hampshire Democrats saying the Republican game plan heading into the November election is to focus on cultural issues instead of gun control. And if we can't call b on that, well then Democrats, we don't deserve to win elections. Monday after the Highland Park shooting, Pritzker urged people to get angry. He then took to Twitter days later in an exchange with the National Rifle Association and told them to, quote, leave us the hell alone. State Senator Neil Anderson said everyone needs to come together and focus on solutions, including recognizing mental health issues. He said Pritzker's emotional rhetoric isn't helping. The governor is using a tragedy to try to gin people up, and it's disgusting. Recognizing the tragedy of the Highland Park shooting, Anderson said Pritzker focusing on that is hypocritical when dozens are shot in Chicago every weekend. Just again, another example of the hypocrisy uh, of the governor saying this is the, this is so bad, this is so bad, but he never talks about what happens on a regular basis in Chicago is bad. Shortly after Monday's shooting, Pritzker said there's no better time to talk about gun control than criticize the Second Amendment right to bear arms as antiquated. If you're angry today, I'm here to tell you, be angry. I'm furious. I'm furious that yet more innocent lives were taken by gun violence. Anderson said everyone needs to come together to work on solutions, which includes recognizing issues around mental health. Meanwhile, in June, Governor J.B. Pritzker called on lawmakers to be ready for a special session on abortion rights in the coming weeks. Now, two weeks later, a date has still not been set. Andrew Hensel has that story. After the U.S. Supreme Court returned the issue of abortion back to the states last month, Pritzker announced that Illinois will not restrict access to abortion. Pritzker also discussed a possible special legislative session regarding the matter. I am informing the General Assembly that I will be calling them into special session in the coming weeks to more firmly protect women's reproductive rights in Illinois. State Rep. William Davis said no date for the session has been set, but laid out what their goals would be. Other, I, I'm sure there's been some policy-related conversation because our objective would be to go and to pass legislation that would help protect the right of women here in the state of Illinois. It is unclear if there would be any other issues discussed for when a session would take place. I'm Andrew Hensel. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at americastalking.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, the production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Illinois in Focus podcast. It's the Crosstalk segment with Chris Krug 
publisher of the Center Square, headquartered right here in Chicago, Illinois. Joined again by my friend and colleague, executive editor of the Center Square, Dan McCaleb. Dan, how are you? Hey, Chris. It's been quite a week. It's hard to believe it's only been three days since the the mass shooting at the uh, July 4th parade in Highland Park. Um, uh, We, of course, uh, our Illinois team at the Center Square and Illinois Radio Network uh, have been all over that story. It's not uh, the easiest story uh, to report on, but man, as as much information as that's come out since uh, Monday morning, it's we're recording this on uh, uh, Thursday, July 7th. Uh, it just feels like it's been a lot longer ago than, than just three days. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's tragic. It's, it is, has our attention. Um, we've invested a lot of time in, in talking about it. And I'm sure within the newsroom, you've spent a lot of time uh, talking about it. We want to try to unpack it uh, a little bit, um, at least get people up to date with where we are now. And, and please, we ask, be mindful. We're taping this on, on Thursday, July 7th. This is an ongoing investigation. This is a extremely high-profile incident for all the wrong reasons. And, um, yeah, I mean, the news, the news will, will, will continue to, uh, to, to evolve and then stick with the center square as we uh, continue to cover this. The young man's name was Robert Cremo III. Uh, the scene was Highland Park, Illinois. For those people who are unfamiliar with Highland Park, it's an absolutely beautiful suburb uh, on the North Shore. It's a terrific community. Um, and, you know, the idea that uh, that a July 4th Independence Day celebration would be shattered by this is really, it's, un- it's unsettling. Um, as the news has evolved on this, Dan, there's been well. First of all, there's been a lot about there's been a lot of outcry, in particular because I mean, a, a gun was the, you know, was the the weapon. Um, this wasn't somebody who drove a truck down the street. This wasn't somebody who set off a bomb. This is somebody who, you know, who went up onto a rooftop allegedly, and uh, opened fire on the crowd. Seven killed, thirty plus wounded. Um, why don't you bring us up to date with what's going on? There's subtlety and nuance to every story. And our responsibility is to try to bring facts forward. Where are we with this at this point? So, yeah, let's, let's start with the seven dead. Um, Cremo has been charged with seven counts of first degree murder related to those seven specific um, deaths. This is after he took a high powered rifle. Police say he took a high powered rifle you know, up onto um, a rooftop uh, along the parade route in Highland Park and started firing into the crowd. Uh, more charges are pending. They expect attempted murder uh, charges related to those 30-plus injuries, uh, the folks who did survive uh, this tragic shooting. Uh, police investigators say um, he has talked to them. He has admitted to doing this. After um, firing into the crowd, sending you know a, a stampede across the downtown streets of Highland Park, he apparently was uh, dressed in women's clothing. He was able to, bl- to climb down uh, uh, from the rooftop on a ladder that's attached to the building, um, blended in with the crowd during the, the stampede where people were running away, dropped this apparently this high-powered rifle that he allegedly used um, in the shooting. His mom lived nearby. He uh, went to his mom's house, took her car, uh, was still armed, 
with other firearms, um, drove up to near Madison, Wisconsin, according to police uh, who have been talking to him. He considered another mass shooting event in Madison, but never um, did it. Police also say that he had been planning this attack in Highland Park uh, for at least a couple of weeks. Um, they've uncovered some online uh, chatter and things from him and about uh, him. He was an aspiring rapper, um, had written some rap songs. Um, police also have told uh, told uh, the public that they there were two encounters um, with Robert Cremo III in 2019 when his family members uh, called authorities on him. One, uh, the first time uh, when he had uh, allegedly threatened uh, suicide, a second time when he had allegedly threatened his family members. They, um, I, there was a number of knives in the house on that second incident where um, his family called police on him. Um, they confiscated those, those knives, but his uh, father later told police that the knives belonged to him, that they were just being stored in his son's room. Um, so police eventually did return those knives um, uh, to, to the family, to, to the, the suspect's father. And then his father, uh, several months later, after that second incident, his father, he was, he was either 18 or 19 at the time of that second incident. Several months after that incident, his, his father sponsored him um, in a FOID, FOID for a FOID, a firearms owner's identification card, which legally is required to purchase firearms um, in the state of Illinois. Uh, the suspect was 19 at the time. If you're not 21, you need a family member sponsor to acquire a FOID card. His father sponsored that FOID, FOID card over the next year or so. Um, uh, Robert Cremo III purchased, according to police, purchased five weapons, uh, two of which were these high-powered rifles. Three others were handguns and you know, start, began stockpiling ammunition. And um, that's essentially where we're at. He's going to be, uh, he is in custody. Uh, he was ordered to remain in custody without bond. Um, so he's not going anywhere. Um, and if he's, if he has, in fact, as police said he has, if he has admitted um, to committing these crimes, this will be a fairly um, easy, though obviously tragic, uh, criminal case. I appreciate the recap. That's, that's, thorough um and from a timeline standpoint there's a, a lot of a lot of information there to 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 further unpack so let me ask you this question you and i have both been through the foid card process you and i have both legally purchased uh guns in the in this in the state of illinois it's the only way i've ever purchased a gun um i believe same case for you i'm never and i'm not suggesting like you know that they're out there you know um like gun show loophole kind of stuff. I mean, I buy my stuff from, you know, armors, right? And 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 you you have to. How in the world does a guy like Robert Cremo the third make his way through that process? And does that not call into question the validity of the Foyd card process? It just seems like a massive regulatory waste of time if somebody like this who has had the problems that he's had that have been documented police have come to his house weapons have been confiscated in the past and somehow still robert cremo the third winds up with a with a foid card 
I mean, it's, I think that there's a false sense of security uh, or a false sense of uh, diligence, maybe is the right word. Not security, diligence with regard to the FOID card process in Illinois. Does this not unravel? Yeah, that's that's the that's the big question that um, uh, many are talking about. Highland Park Police, in, 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 in regards to these incidents where they responded in 2019 to family uh, concerns uh, about uh, Cremo, um, after they went there, particularly the incident um, where he threatened to kill family, his family members, and he had these knives, they reported that the Illinois State Police. Illinois State Police conducts the background check process um, before issuing um, FOID cards. So Illinois State Police had um, this information. State Police have been on the defensive uh, th this week regarding this particular question. They said because his father sponsored him in his FOID card application, um, that nothing in his past um, prevented him from um, obtaining uh, legally obtaining um, these rifles and, and these handguns. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole process is being questioned um, uh, now because he was able to uh, acquire um, the, these, these weapons. Um, of course, Governor J.B. Pritzker has called for more gun control legislation. The Second Amendment advocates have pushed back against that, looking at this particular case as a failure. President Biden nationally has called for more gun control legislation and things like red flag laws. And that's what the, what red flag laws are supposed to identify people like the suspect in this case who may not, who may have uh, mental health issues, who may um, have threatened violence um, in their past, but obviously uh, this red flag law didn't work. Well, and, and I mean, it's just to wind it back, the, the Aurora uh, manufacturing um, shooting from a couple of years ago, uh, the shooter in that case had his FOID card revoked, but then state police didn't take the, the take his guns away from him, and yeah. that winds up, you know, that that's a, that's a tragedy, right? If we're going to have these practices, if we're going to have these kinds of regulations, they're not worth anything if they don't mean anything. You know, it's just it's taxpayer waste. We're, we're, we're paying for activity that would appear to mitigate an incident like this, if not completely eliminate it. And yet it, it happens. And there's just no putting it back in Highland Park. I mean, the loss of life there is, it, it's, it's sickening. And I grieve with the families and those who are of those who died and, and of those who have been injured. This just seems to me to be avoidable. This particular case really bothers me because if in fact the laws that are on the books, if they worked, they should have worked here. You had a young man who demonstrated all of the characteristics, or I should say, let me, let's be fair many of the characteristics of someone who could be potentially problematic with ownership of a gun. And yet, in the, with the strictest gun laws, I mean, you know, in the country, I mean, outside of New York, Illinois' gun laws are the strictest in the country. And this can still happen. 
Right. It really bothers. And Governor Pritzker, um, you know, he's been saying for years, essentially, um, pushing for more gun restrictions, not just in Illinois, but nationally. For years, he's been saying that, for example, Chicago's gun violence, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, you know, Ch Chicago's gun violence is a result of guns being illegally smuggled across state lines. But that's not the case here. This gun was legally purchased in the state uh, of Illinois. Um, there were some red flags um, with Robert Cremo, the suspect um, in, in this case. And, you know, I, I, I think Illinois State Police is not going to be done talking about this and how uh, uh, Cremo was able to, to, pur to purchase these guns legally, given the red flags and Illinois' um, FOID card process. And I don't mean to come down on the Illinois State Police on this. I, I think if, 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 if the law cannot be maintained or upheld, then it's not a real law. And if, and, if, and look, can I, look, can I, I'm sorry, can please, I, yeah, we've, no. we've talked, we've talked on this, um, um, this podcast and we've written about it at the centersquare.com, you know, going back to before the pandemic, the backlogs of uh, FOID card applications that Illinois state police were unable to process in a timely manner, backlogs as long as eight, nine months for people uh, wanting um, uh, uh, to practice their Second Amendment rights, wanting to purchase legally a weapon in Illinois, being made to wait almost a year um, because of Illinois' flawed FOID card system and process. So obviously there's issue. I don't know if it's a staffing issue within state police. I don't know um, what else it would be, but obviously um, they're not they're not doing it as the law was intended to. Um, now we can debate all day long whether or not this void card law should be revoked um, in Illinois because of the Second Amendment um, and it's you know it, it, it getting close to um, 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 reproaching. Second Amendment rights of Illinois citizens, but obviously it's a flawed process in Illinois. And Dan, you know, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker showed up in um, Highland Park and, and had some thoughts to share. Uh, he said, and I'm quoting, if you're angry today, I'm here to tell you to be angry. I'm furious. I'm furious that yet more innocent lives were taken by gun violence. And he also called the Second Amendment um, uh, Second Amendment's right to bear arms antiquated. Um, so he is definitely um, pushing hard um, to uh, strip away Illinois residents' Second Amendment rights. And of course, um, he, he made similar comments when he visited New Hampshire um, uh, last month, um, uh, where he wanted, where, where he he talked about gun control uh, measures and the fact. Um, that he was in New Hampshire has people wondering, oh, is he, if, if Biden decides not to run for re-election, re uh, New Hampshire being an early primary state for presidential elections, um, uh, is Pritzker running for president? So would he take these same policy positions um, to Washington, D.C. with him? Of course, Pritzker says he's not running for president, that he supports Joe Biden's re-election campaign, but there's been plenty of speculation uh, that he would, that he might, or he's at least considering it. Um, so would he take these same policy positions with him to Washington, D.C. if he did run and by some, I would say, slight chance win? The politicization of this 
I, I just can't. I can't. No, no, thanks. No, thanks. Um, so, I mean, what what becomes of this in Illinois? I mean, you know, I mean, you already have, again, some of the strictest gun laws in the country. Uh, we have a process, you know, the firearms owner ID card process that I think it's safe to say doesn't work. It's obtrusive and it doesn't work. Yeah, you also have you had the U.S. Supreme Court um, last month um, striking down. You mentioned New York. New York and Illinois have among the most stringent um, gun control measures in the country. The U.S. Supreme Court last month uh, struck down a New York uh, law related to uh, concealed carry uh, and and the 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 just laborious and process. Uh, to get a concealed carry permit uh, in, in New York, and they said it was too restrictive um, and violated uh, the New Yorker's Second Amendment rights. So, um, um, it's, so yes, Governor Pritzker is going to continue to push for more um, gun control measures. The Democratic-controlled legislature um, may well get behind them, but those will be challenged. And the U.S. Supreme Court reaffirmed American Second Amendment rights in this recent New York um, decision. So despite what Pritzker and Illinois Democrats want to do, uh, it likely um, will be challenged. And the U.S. Supreme Court has already spoken. Meanwhile, in Chicago, um, uh, not a mostly peaceful Fourth of July weekend, um, 12 killed and 68 wounded and just to be clear that's in addition this is i'm speaking specifically of chicago and this has nothing to do with what happened in highland park um those numbers are below last year when there were 23 people killed and 90 people wounded according to heyjackass.com uh chicago continues to have problems uh with violence ongoing and the gun restrictions inside the city limits are even greater than the gun laws that sit over to the state of Illinois. Yeah. I didn't see Governor Pritzker this week hold a news conference from um, from Chicago to talk about Chicago's um, gun violence. Mayor Lori Lightfoot um, did hold a news conference to talk about Chicago's gun violence in the July uh, 4th holiday weekend. And just reading her comments, it's 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 really sad commentary um, uh, on her part, part about the state of Chicago. And here's a direct quote from uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Well, look, if you consider what we experienced a year ago, this weekend, I believe we were actually down in shootings. Ah, hey, there were only 12 shooting murders in my city this weekend. That's down. Things are fine. Nothing to see here. Headed in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah, Chicago's a quagmire. I mean, and that's why that's why Governor Pritzker would not set foot into Chicago to, to speak on that. There's just there's just no way. I mean, uh, again, according to Hey Jackass, a person is shot in Chicago every two hours and thirty nine minutes, and through July sixth, a person is murdered every thirteen hours and three minutes in the city of Chicago. Sad. Particularly for those folks who, um, um, you know, are, are trapped there, 
um, because of their uh, situations. Uh, can't get out of there. Can't get their kids um, out of there. Of course, we, we just a couple weeks ago wrote about the, the, uh, the billionaire owner of Citadel said he can't take Chicago's violence anymore. So he re relocated to South Beach um, in, in Miami. And, and the, the folks who can afford to, more and more of them are fleeing the city because of issues like this. I don't blame Ken Griffin one bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you'd really, really, really have to think hard if you have the means to want to stay. Um, because it's just, it's, it's, up, it's up for grabs. I mean, every single day. I mean, it's a, this is a bad weekend and it's a weekend, you know, it's a weekend tally um, because it's historically been a violent set of days around July 4th. Uh, but it's, you know, we're talking about with this weekend in Chicago, it's, it's the norm. I mean, if you go back to, you know, in the, the, the last eight or nine years and you look at the numbers, 2013, 15 killed, 2014, 16 killed, 2015, 11 killed, 2016, six killed, 2017, 15 killed, 2018, 10 killed, 2019, seven killed, 2020, 21 killed, 2021, 23 killed over the, over the July 4th holiday weekend. It's simply awful. And it's, it, it shows no sign of getting better for Lori Lightfoot to suggest that there's an improvement there is insulting to the intelligence of everyone. It's an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment. Yeah. You and I used to go to the city regularly for work um, purposes and, and we've stopped doing that. And yeah, part of it's because we, we can um, work remotely, but part of it is just because we don't want to go to the city because of this rampant violence, which, you know, People used to say it's contained in just a couple of bad neighborhoods in Chicago, but it's not. It's spilled over and not in very public, uh, uh, very affluent areas. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not anymore. Um, all right, let's move along. Uh, you may have noticed on your local uh, gas pump uh, that two things. One, gasoline prices have eased a little bit. Um, I, I saw in, in my area, uh, our area, Dan, uh, gasoline it's sitting around five twenty-six uh, a gallon. Uh, certainly not a bargain, uh, but it's 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 chilled a bit. Um, but there's this new sticker on the pump that is uh, telling people that uh, the state did something to make gasoline prices better, better than they could have been, but not better. Yeah, I guess. I guess five thirty a gallon is better than five fifty five a gallon, but I'm not jumping up and clapping and and uh, and throwing celebrations over five dollars and thirty cent gas. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. And me, you know, meanwhile, just over the border in Wisconsin, uh, where I was the, the the last couple of days, and up into Minnesota, it's a dollar. It's about a dollar a gallon less, um, and we're still paying obscene tax on tax on tax. Um, there's been a little pushback to this. I, I mean, to this, to the stickers. Um, yeah, I think, well, the gas station owners are furious over it and had to, you, you know, 
essentially the lawmakers and Governor Pritzker are patting themselves on the back for suspending the two to three cent uh, annual increase that goes into place on July 1st every year uh, tied to inflation. Um, patting themselves on the back for a two to three percent non-increase. It's not a tax cut. They just suspended the new, the increase from going into effect for six months. So instead, next year, we'll have two tax increases, one on January 1st, the one that was supposed to go in effect on July 1st of this year, and then one on July 1st of 2023. Um, re, the retailers, the gas station owners uh, and operators were furious that in, the, in their budget that they passed that uh, they required them to put this sticker on um, their gas pumps. And they said they were going to put additional sticker on the pump uh, that provided the accurate information that Governor Pritzker and uh, lawmakers doubled the gas tax um, in 2019, threatened gas stations with up to $500 daily fines per month if they did not put this government mandated sticker uh, on their pumps, uh, on their gas pumps. So uh, honestly, um, um, I have not uh, had to fill my tank up since the law kicked in over the weekend, um, but I'm interested to see um, uh, uh, what these stickers look like, because um, I, I won't be needing to to fill my tank up in the next day or two. Something that always pains me when gas is five thirty a gallon. Yeah, for real. Now, if you're an electric vehicle owner, I mean, you may have been uh, laughing uh, at the, the the reality that the vast majority of Illinoisans and Americans are dealing with at the pump. Um, and, uh, I would just like to say to them, you're welcome, uh, because, uh, Illinois taxpayers subsidize the purchase of electric vehicles, uh, motorcycles and cars. And I would think that those are the only two categories to the tune of about $18 million. So this, the, uh, this is going to affect up to $4,000 taxpayer funded rebates for purchases of electric cars up to $1,500 rebate for electric um, motorcycles. And we, you and I, you know more than I do, um, but we both know that electric vehicles are expensive, still um, uh, significantly higher than gas-powered vehicles. So the people who are buying these electric vehicles are the people who can afford them, the more affluent. So we're offering tax breaks essentially, essentially uh, to a population that is more affluent and doesn't need doesn't need. Uh, tax rebates. It's not quite as egregious, you know, as the story that the Center Square um, wrote last month about the Porsche, which had a price tag on it of a million dollars. It's an electric, especially electric vehicle that received the Texas rebate. But I mean, you know, come on. I mean, the, the, the electric vehicle, the bottom end of an electric vehicle is still like $35,000, right? And the top end on electric vehicles, you know, I mean, if you can find one of those rare Porsches that, uh, you know, that goes for a million, you could pay a million. Obviously, somebody paid a million dollars for it. You could pay a million dollars for it. Um, you, you don't, you, you really don't need the subsidy, Um if you're in that buying range. And so that's point one. And point two is, why are we doing this? I mean, you know, the vast majority of electricity, you know, that the state of Illinois produces and, and that would, you know, run through the charging stations or through our homes is from coal-fired power plants. 
I mean, across the state, yeah, we still have nuclear in the state of Illinois, but you know, we're, we're burning coal to make electricity. And what's the net effect of that? If, if, if this is an environmental play, yeah, it's, it's a bit, it's quite a bit hypocritical and nothing that the mainstream media uh, generally points out or um, um, writes about. Um, but it, it, the infrastructure in the state of Illinois and across the country still isn't there to support many of these governors, like Governor Pritzker's goals to have so many percentage of electric vehicles on the roadways by 2030. Um, and whatnot. There's, the infrastructure is not there to support those goals. Of course, ta taxpayers in Illinois and across the country are paying um, for this infrastructure. That's not going to be anywhere near ready to meet these um, targets. And now Illinois state government um, is picking winners and looters, losers in the economy um, um, by incentivizing with taxpayer dollars, the purchase of electric vehicles, most of which are bitten, are, are, excuse me, bought by more affluent um, users. None of it makes sense to me. Well, and you know, and, and you know, not that it's like uh, the the composition of today's podcast has been uh, violence and transportation. Um, last last subject that I have is uh, Metro, which. At different times of my professional career has been the bane of my existence. It's also been a terrific aid in being able to get back and forth from the suburbs into the city. Um, I wouldn't call, you know, uh, Metro a pleasure ride, but it does create some level of convenience for those that still have to find their way into the city and, and out. Um, Metro ridership, new numbers came out. Uh, we're still not all the way back and really not too terribly close. In the meantime, a ton of federal money has flowed into Metro. So what's going on with Metro? Yeah, so is Metro and CTA, we published this, a similar story uh, just an hour or so ago at the centersquare.com about uh, the Chicago Transit Authority. But um, taxpayers have been su subsidizing um, public transportation in Illinois, in the Chicago area, and across the country before the pandemic. But what we saw during the pandemic, um, really no surprise there, ridership, whether it be on the metro commuter rail system um, uh, from the suburbs of Chicago into the city of Chicago, or on the L trains and, and buses in the city of Chicago, ridership plummeted. And of course, fares, um, uh, uh, the, the fares riders uh, pay um, uh, to use Metro or to use uh, the CTA, um, pay for a, a portion of that. But even before, um, even before the pandemic, um, taxpayers had to pay to, even if you didn't use Metro, you didn't use a Chicago transit bus or the L in Chicago, you, your taxpayer dollars um, we're in in the suburbs, even not just we're not just talking about Chicago or Cook County. We're talking about, you know, the suburbs, uh, McHenry, Lake, DuPage, etc. Kane um, uh, taxpayers have been subsidizing that for years. Um, but when it, what happened when ridership plummeted? Obvi obviously, fare revenue pl plummeted. So taxpayers, the past couple of years, have had to pick up significantly more. Uh, of the costs of these commuter, uh, these public transportation 
um, uh, essentially. And what we found for Metra, um, uh, that taxpayer funding, federal taxpayer funding for operating expenses of, Met of Metra increased from $3.6 million in 2019. And this is just federal funding, okay, because suburban taxpayers pay, pay even more. From $3.6 million in 2019 to $159.8 million um, in 2020. Uh, 2020. Um, and uh, there's for, for the CTA, for the Chicago Transit Authority, it was uh, even higher, 5,000% uh, increase in federal taxpayer dollars for operating funds in 2020 compared to 2019. That's an increase from $9.1 million from federal taxpayers to $488.1 million from federal taxpayers. So what really needs to happen here is we need to rethink um, public transportation. If users, the folks who benefit in it, like previously you and I benefited from that trick as we go into the city at least once or twice a week from our suburban homes. We don't do that anymore. Um, and millions of other people aren't doing that, or I shouldn't say millions, but tens of thousands of other people aren't doing that. And if they used to go to the city five days a week, that adds up to mi millions of rides um, every month. But because of the pandemic and because of um, um, this new work from home routine that many companies are allowing, that ridership is never going to come back to, to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so I really think public transportation um, and the funding of public transportation needs to be rethought. Because we did this story, we're talking about where this is the Illinois Focus podcast, we're talking specifically about Illinois. But we're taking a look at public transits in other states. At the center square, we cover all 50 states. And we're seeing the same thing um, in Seattle, in Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, uh, and other major cities that have public transportation. Um, and we're, we're talking to sources um, um, who are telling us, yet this isn't going to work because uh, taxpayer subsidies are only going to continue to need to go up um, to fund these um, while ridership continues to decline. So I don't know what the solution is, but it, we, it, we have to have a conversation both in Illinois and across the country uh, about public transportation. Well, I mean, with the increase that you're talking about, you know, around fed, about federal funding, you know, I mean, that jumping from three point six million dollars in 2019 to one hundred and sixty million in 2020. I mean, where's the money going? I mean, if people aren't riding on the train. I mean, where did it go to improvements? I mean, you know, look, if you've ridden on Metra, I mean, you know, I guess it depends on the line that you're on. But I mean, it's not a, it's not a pleasure ride necessarily. I mean, you know, you're talking about old cars and, you know, just, no. I mean, like literally, like if, if it's raining really hard, you're in, you're basically in a tube that's that's dripping water right down the center seam, you know, uh, from above. Yeah, I don't know that the Northwest Line has added uh, uh, new trains in, in certainly a decade, um, but uh, uh, that's the one that, that you and I get on, and it is, it's rugged. So no, they're not. Uh, some of them has gone gone to infrastructure improvements, but most of it's going to operating expenses. So they so these transit agencies didn't have to lay off employees when no one was riding the train. They continue to offer. Yeah, they made some changes in their offerings, um, um, but they um, the few times I've been on the train over the past year, year and a half, the trains have been empty. Um, they're not reducing enough number of cars uh, that they're. 
um, uh, that they're taking in. They're not spreading out the times um, that the trains go to and from um, the city to uh, to adjust for the this significantly decreased ridership. And at the very least, those kinds of things need to be looked at um, and changes need to be made. So this huge taxpayer expense doesn't continue. It just doesn't seem like we're, you know, we're asking for efficiency here. And based on the trend, this would not suggest that efficiency is part of the equation at all. It's not. It's government doing what government does, continuing to ask for more money, continuing to spend more taxpayer money, but without coming up with the solutions that would could actually serve taxpayers uh, and, instead of continuing to take more from them. That is the full agenda. Uh, anything else that you wanted to touch on? I briefly mentioned um, Governor Pritzker, particularly during um, uh, these news conferences that he's trying to take advantage of politically um, from the news events that have, have occurred, um, uh, people speculating that he might uh, be considering a run uh, for governor. People like him, California Governor Newsom, um, they're all waiting to see what's going to happen with with President Biden. President Biden has said he plans to run again, but there are a lot of doubts within the Democratic Party. And I do think um, eventually, you know, we're, we're in midterm uh, year. So come November, we're two years away from the presidential election. Um, presidential campaigns often take two, two years or more um, uh, for candidates to establish themselves. So I think in the coming months, we're going to find out more. Uh, what about what President Biden's intentions are and whether someone like Governor Pritzker um, may actually consider throwing his hat in the ring. Now, he's been asked about this, and you referenced this earlier. He's been asked about whether or not he has ambitions for the presidency. And um, he says no, but... Yeah, but, but I mean, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's long been rumored as a presidential candidate, he, he's up for re-election in Florida, just like Governor Pritzker is up for re-election in um, Illinois, um, um, they're of course going to say at least before the election, no, I want to I want to be governor of the state of Illinois or the state of Florida um, for the next four years. Other, uh, otherwise, that gives voters a reason not to vote for them. So they're not going to say anything up until um, the election. But there there will continue to be speculation, particularly if Governor Pritzker continues to travel to states like New Hampshire, where he gave a, a big speech um, last month to Democrats. It certainly doesn't, you know, the, the behavior doesn't suggest that um, he isn't interested. And, and you know, his, his track record has been one of ambition. You remember back to the Blagojevich tapes, you know, inquiring about the uh, opportunity to be, you know, the person selected for the open Senate seat that Barack Obama vacated and then suggesting that, you know, maybe he would be a better fit uh, inside, yeah, as treasurer. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's the, the political ambition uh, of our current governor is fairly well documented. And if there was a time for him to run for the presidency, Geez, it would seem like 2024 would be that time. I, I, I can't see Joe Biden running again in, in, in two years' time. 
I, I just I can't I can't see it. I mean, I don't feel like he has. I mean, his his approval rating is horrendous. His just ability to function in the job. Um, I mean, without being mean spirited. Uh, I mean, it's like every day there's a there's a new gaff reel that that can be created around, you know, Joe Biden in the wild doing Joe Biden things. If there if there there's no better time, I mean, really, uh, than than 2024 for somebody like J.B. Pritzker, who, who, you know, is demonstrated to be an opportunist to make a run at. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely about um, President Biden, and there are even Democrats close to Biden who, you know, behind the scenes we're hearing um, are encouraging him not um, uh, to run. Of course, you you see uh, President Biden speak at these public events, at these news conferences, where it's sometimes it's painful to watch um, um, because uh, he's gotten older. Um, uh, it doesn't seem like, uh, he's got the same capacities that he had just, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, and if he does decides not to run and there are plenty of high level Democrats who are hoping he does not, um, I would not be surprised if Pritzker throws his name in the hat. Well, the right for that. President Biden can't say that he wouldn't run because that wouldn't work. And governor JB Pritzker can't say that he's interested in running, but both of those could be true. Exactly. That Biden has no intention and that the Democrats have no intention of, of allowing him to seek a second term. And in the among the field of those who could step up and step in and make a run for it, J.B. Pritzker is well-funded, um, and I, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, from that field, it would, it would really be fascinating to see, you know, to, to look ahead, which it's a long, long, long way between now and 2024. I mean, as you said, we have a midterm to, to you know, to focus on in November of this year, which could change the complexion of the country, uh, you know, legislatively, uh, in a massively significant way. But, you know, Newsom and Pritzker in particular, what would they run on? I mean, what what would what would they run on nationally? Both progressives, they'd run on progressive policies and and the the hope that the progressives who seem to have taken over the Democratic uh, party um, will get to them and if you're asking me specifically about successes they don't have successes to, to talk about. Certainly not when it comes to the economy, the successes, tax and spend um, type successes. But remember both uh, Governor Newsom and Governor Pritzker in the um, beginning months of the pandemic, both of them held daily news conferences where there was speculation then that they were trying to build their national um, profiles. Um, and now that we're we're, we're closer to 2024 and president Biden has shown, you, you know, what his shortcomings are. Um, I think both of them are probably uh, gearing up for a run. If president Biden finally decides that he is not going to run. 
I don't see him. I don't see him running again in 2024. I don't. I don't see how that would be possible. I can't imagine either. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, it's it's um, it's it's always interesting to look ahead. I, there's not, you know, you and I are certainly not Nostradamus like. Um, I think trying to 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 even figure out, especially if you live in around in and around Chicago, um, you know what tomorrow is going to look like. Trying to look ahead a couple of years is really just uh well it's barstool talk and that's okay yeah but it's 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 fun to talk about particularly when you know the nation is where it's it is we're so divided after four years of trump um you know voters elected president biden um the that the house switched uh from Re- uh, republican to democrat the senate split 50 50 this country is definitely divided um so it's it's i'm interested in knowing um, who who's going to be running for president two years from now? Because look at look at our economy. Look at inflation, um, where it's at. Look at what's happened to the stock market. Look at gas prices. Um, the, the majority of Americans say we're heading in the wrong direction. So um, uh, I, I think there's plenty of interest in who's going to be running for president in 2024, even though we still have the midterm elections of 2022. Well, I appreciate your thoughts on that, and uh, uh, thanks for. Uh, uh, indulging me you know in a in a in a in a future view of of what's going on we'll call it to a close uh, i guess right here enjoy it as always for dan McHale, this has been chris krug you've been listening to the crosstalk segment commentary powered by the center square we'll now shift in the illinois and focus podcast to greg bishop who will look at what the center square will focus on next week Next week, the team from the Center Square will review the candidates who filed to run for elected office as independents or new political parties, continue to monitor the fallout after the Highland Park mass shooting, and look forward to a possible special session on abortion, the Illinois State Fair, and more. This has been Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop.